bonjour, hi, Canada. Greetings to the people around the globe listening, especially for this, the last radio hour of the week, which is always the Hillsdale Dialogue. When I, Hugh Hewitt, go from the ReliefFactor.com studios up to Michigan via our extremely sophisticated electronic delivery system to Dr. Larry Arn, president of Hillsdale College, for a conversation about stuff that usually doesn't make the front pages but ought to be on the forefront of everyone's mind. Today, Dr. Arn, good morning. Great to have you. How are you? I am great. I've got a bad case of the allergies, so my voice is not the world's best. But this Hillsdale dialogue could not be more timely. You're probably the best educated man in America on British politics and how they work. <laughs> Gosh, are we going to talk about that? <laughs> I've just got to ask you, because Theresa May resigned this morning, and this is a significant moment in the life of the United Kingdom. You are married to a Brit. You are you, you yourself spent, how many years have you spent in Great Britain? Four or five? Three. Three. And, well, almost four, because I went back once for nine months. Yeah, and you go back and forth. You study the prime ministership. You, you've been up and down. If you follow Churchill's career, how many different prime ministers did Churchill's life span? 20? Mm, no, I could probably name them. Uh, who are they? Salisbury, Campbell, Bonner Law. It's radio. Eight. You have to talk. Eight? Eight. That, okay. Yeah. So this is a momentous moment. What do you think mm-hmm. is going to happen? Well, I'm cheered by the speculation that they're going to get somebody stronger on Brexit. In other words, it'll change the situation and maybe sufficiently if they have a prime minister who actually wants to do this. And, uh, and so, so that might be big. And so uh, my wife, who's here with me today, last having to listen to us, she, uh, <laughs> she thinks it's Boris. And uh, so I hope so, or anyway, somebody who's all over this thing and who wants this thing. I, I am here to say that I, I believe that Boris is the front runner with 35 to 40 percent of the grassroots behind him. Dominic Robb is the, the next generation candidate and behind him, a distant third is Jeremy Hunt. If it came down, can you talk, walk us through the process? Because the Tory, she resigned. She's still prime minister. She resigned as the head of the party. And that does not automatically make a new prime minister. What has to happen next? Well, the uh, conservatives in, in the Tory, the conservative party, they, they each party has a different name for its committee. But all of the members in the conservative party are organized, who are current members of the House of Commons, are organized in the 1922 committee. And that's named after the year in which Stanley Baldwin upset Andrew Boner Law, who had been prime minister, and in an astonishing victory, redirected the conservative party and changed it a lot and you know led it down the road toward Neville Chamberlain and Edward Halifax and appeasement. But, but, and, and Baldwin started that policy. Anyway, that – and so the, the great wisdom in, in Britain is that the Labor Party is – always talking about changing its leader and it never does and the conservative <laughs> party never talks about it but it does <laughs> well this was i was following this so closely through the guardian by the way which has the best political mm. coverage the times of london not so good and i won't pay for the telegraph because i'm already paying for one british newspaper the times of london mm. they kind of saw it coming didn't they yeah well you know it's embarrassing Right. This is, you know, I, I am not, I won't join Andrew Roberts in calling her the worst prime minister in history because I don't know enough about them all. But, uh, but <laughs> this, is, this is a miserable record, right? Chief? It is. 
She took a large majority. She lost her majority, and then she lost her will. Yeah, and the point is, they've just been taking her to the cleaners, and and the, I mean the European Union, right? Yeah. And you know they've so she let it be known. I mean, first of all, she campaigned against uh, leaving the European Union, and in the course of that, and later, she let it be known that they had to have a good deal because it might be traumatic for Britain, right? Well, it takes two to make a deal. She just delivered herself into the hands of those people. And a better uh, approach would have been, because first of all, the European Union is very vulnerable now. There's a great article in the Wall Street Journal this week about how more and more uh, people are being elected to the European Parliament from all the countries of Europe who don't like the European Union. That place is going to be really testy these days. Isn't that great? And so, that, first of all, that's their weakness. A lot of people want to leave. And so what she should do, she should, she should have done two simple things. And one is she should have made a plan for leaving without a deal and published it. And it should have had the first last paragraph that we can afford this. And the people have voted, right? And then she should have made contact with all of these people who hate the European Union and suggested to the people in Brussels I'm going to lead a brush fire here. Then go negotiate with them, and you'll find out that you'll get something. And if you don't, you're prepared, see? And so she she wandered into this thing without a plan if they said no. And to rehearse, what, what condition did they place on Britain getting out? The condition was they were going to sign a new kind of trade agreement, sort of a hybrid, and it would carry a provision that Britain could not leave, ever. And so that's an interfer- you know, an additional and big interference with British sovereignty. And to remind people why that matters, you, you, you need a country so you can have a government that protects your rights and is responsive to you. And that's, you know, cons- you have to have government. Consent of the governed is the right way because that's the first constitutional safeguard. The government can't do anything unless you tell it it's okay. And, and you know, and so the European Union does not have that feature. It's too complex. It's elected from all over the Europe in, among countries of uh, citizens of countries who do not speak with one another. It's actually true that the only real contact they have politically with one another is through the European Union. And that means the people in Brussels are coordinating everything. Whereas in America, you know, we got Hugh Hewitt's show, right? And everybody can listen to it, get mad about it or like it and call in or not, tell their friends about it, tell them what a dirty dog we are. <laughs> We're having politics in America, see? And, and that's how free people govern themselves. And there's no mechanism for that in the European Union. Now, I want to so underscore somebody, what you just said about Theresa May. It was her fatal flaw. She was not believed by the EU to be willing to go over the cliff of no deal. And unless you are willing to go over the cliff of no deal, you will not get a good deal. Now, I believe both Boris Johnson and Dominic Robb, the two frontrunners, are willing to insist no deal if you don't come back with a better deal. And by the way, I believe they are going to do that. I don't think that can be stopped, as a matter of fact. I don't believe that the Labor Party or anyone can stop that from happening. Do you? Well... Well, they have a coalition government, so their junior partners could stop it. You're right. You're right. 
and 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 but you know that's a that's a risky business for anybody. See, this thing is full of dynamite, and the and there's only one clear line through. I mean, if Britain is going to continue to be a representative government, then the clear line through is the people voted, right? And the people who stay close to that principle have a way to serve Britain and keep it free. And the ones who alter that, they've got complex explanations to make that'll get that'll grow uglier every year they hang in the air. So and see that that's you know just imagine you know here here's a fun thing imagine Donald Trump who's about apparently to meet the queen you know because I've been getting questions from one of my kids who works for him about you know ask your wife this ask your wife that that kind of stuff so he imagine he was the prime minister of great britain what would he do and the answer is he would first say you know we don't really want a deal <laughs> you know yeah. and then you know, start with that. You know, we're we're gone. Sorry, bye. And uh, and see, remember this big fact: Great Britain has a trade deficit with the rest of Europe, and that means there's more people selling to Britain than buying from Britain. And and that means that and and see if it's buyers can be hurt. You know, I'm a free trader, right? With some exceptions like Chinese piracy, I guess. But. Uh, uh, he, the buyers, if they can't get stuff, they won't be happy. But that's not a concentrated interest, right? right. Whereas if you're Mercedes-Benz and you're losing the British market, that ticks you off. And you're in Germany, and Germany is the whip hand in Europe, right? So there's going to be a lot of complaints from powerful people. When we come back, we're going to begin our series on... Article 2 of the Constitution, because the president is headed for a showdown with Congress. But not before we talk a little bit more so that you will be as informed as any American. Because I doubt there's better there's a better guest in America on what's going on in the United Kingdom. An American who knows more about prime ministers and the politics of the selection process than Dr. Arne. I'll be right back on the Hugh Hewitt Show. Welcome back, America. It's Hugh Hewitt with Dr. Larry Arne. I must confess, this is my favorite week of the hour of the uh, hour of the week. The Hillsdale Dialogue, all things Hillsdale at hillsdale.edu, allows me to talk with my old and dear friend, Dr. Arn. And occasionally we're lucky enough to have Penny nearby so we can get out of a jam when you know something. And, uh, and so they are, <laughs> they are in Texas today, and she's riding along with them so she can help you out. Here is on the British Prime Minister's succession question, drawn from the British press, a line that just completely befuddles most people. Quote, Dominic Robb, a grammar school boy, will be up against Boris Johnson, an Etonian, Jeremy Hunt, who is head boy of Charterhouse. Now, what the hell does that mean? Mm. Well, okay, so, of course, Eton is, uh, you know, fancy school, the, the, the leading British, what we call uh, public school, and that means private. And, uh, and so... It, of course Eton it does. Harrow, <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course it does, yeah. <laughs> you just have to learn to translate a little bit. Excuse me. So, uh, you know, Eden and Harrow are the main ones, but the charter school, that's a big deal too, right? And so if you go to those places, those places are expensive. And, you know, to go to them, you need to be rich and, you know, it's good to be connected or else you need to be dang smart, you know, really tops. And so they used to say about Margaret Thatcher that uh, Professor Jaffa, he, he loves it. He loved her. I loved her too. And uh, he would say, you know, when they sit down around that table in the cabinet, 
everybody went to Oxbridge, which is the way you elide Oxford and Cambridge. Here we say Harvard-Yale. They have a right. tutor thing to say, right? Yeah. And so everybody's an Oxbridge person. Thank God she's the one that studied chemistry. She yeah. didn't learn all that stuff. <laughs> Do you know John Sullivan, by the way? Well, for years. Oh, John has published the funniest comment on um, the the Spygate scandal. Uh, if I can find it here quickly for you, I've, I've just got to read it. Here he is, quote, Spygate is the first American scandal in which the government wants the facts published transparently, but the media want to cover them up. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that perfect? Isn't that perfect? <laughs> That's because we know Spygate is bad. We know it is going to be really bad for yeah. uh, America uh, to discover that their government was trying to disrupt the duly elected president of the United States during his campaign and afterwards. That the permanent government, I don't, I don't use the term deep state because it has uh, Erdogan-like connotations, but our permanent government was trying to take him out. Yeah, well, it's, you know, what's different about, the only thing different is, they don't put people with guns in the streets. It, yep. If, yep. You know, and, and you've got to remember, the FBI is armed and has the power to shoot us. And that means, where do they get that power? If they don't get it from us, it's just arbitrary. And under the Constitution, and we're going to talk about it later, I guess, it turns Next out segment. we elected a president. And, and he, he has to have the executive power because we can get rid of him. He now that tweet, pleasure. that tweet about, or that that comment about Rob being a grammar school boy and Johnson and and uh, Hunt coming from the elite prep schools, that suggests that high school uh, matters. That suggests that class still matters in the Tory Party. Is that true, Larry? Aren't class? Well, sure, but more. It's more like in America now. It, you know, it used to be. You know who your daddy was and you know the, the really top people your daddy your daddy your daddy his daddy his daddy his daddy right so the first prime minister under which winston churchill served was the last real aristocrat to be prime minister of great britain lord salisbury the fifth marquis and churchill did serve with his son arthur balfour but he was uh he, he wasn't close enough in the family to get a peerage. And so he was a commoner. And they've all been commoners, right, since then. And that that's a change, right? Cause, because, you know, the class stuff mattered. Now, it's, you know, sort of, you know, social elitism. It's, you know, why does everybody working in the government have a degree from an Ivy League college, right? Yeah, same thing. Yeah, same thing. I will be back. We're going to move to Article 2. After one final question on the succession, stay tuned, America. Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt. The reason I'm playing my Fair Lady songs is because, indeed, Generalissimo Dwayne is getting married in the morning. Or more like the late afternoon. Tomorrow, Dr. Larry Arn is my guest from Hillsdale College. All things uh, about Hillsdale are collected at hillsdale.edu. You can also listen to all of our conversations back to 2013 at Hugh for Hillsdale.com. Dr. Arn, did you know that, uh, that Dwayne is walking down the aisle tomorrow? Yeah, I talked to him about that earlier, and I'm so happy because that's a miserable boy, isn't it? Yeah, he is. Well, maybe he'll start working. I don't know, but I'm yeah. worried about the the bride. I, you know, I don't know that she's been properly advised. I haven't had a chance to talk to her. 
And the other thing is, what if he becomes happy? Can he still do his work? Oh, my gosh. The show may collapse. It, it, well, that is no, something. No, he can't be. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations to Dwayne. Uh, best wishes to Eskimo Pie Eyes. That's what we call her here, EPE, Eskimo Pie Eyes, because he fell for them because her eyes are like Eskimo Pies. That's what he told me the first day he met her. Her no eyes way. are like Eskimo did he Pies. He no, he really that. didn't say that. Yeah, he did. He said EPE. <laughs> All right, Dr. Arndt, before we turn to Article 2, there is this 1922 committee, and all yeah. of the Tories in the party, people who actually have their Tory card, are going to go to their constituencies and tell them who they want. And they're going to add up all those votes nationwide, and two people are going to emerge to contest before the 1922 committee. Who are they? Mm. Who are the people they're going to ask? Yeah, who are the 1922 committee? Well, the 1922 committee are the Tory conservative members of parliament, the elected members of parliament. And they're going to ask the constituencies, and the constituencies have committees, the Central Committee of the so-and-so of, you know, Southport, the Central Committee of every district there, 600 and so And there's a conservative central office, too, and they will coordinate this. And the conservative central office is often viewed by the constituencies' committees with great uh, disdain. Suspicion? Hours in London. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so they're going to go ask them, right? Well, I look, my research assistant, I'm, I'm in the same position you are. My research assistant is also my boss. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and uh, Penny has looked up this morning and confirmed for me something I thought. In the independent, um, there's a fact check thing, you know, the way the papers do, and they, you know, fact, you know fake news. And they say the claim is, that 70% of conservative districts and 60% of labor constituencies voted to leave in the EU referendum. And the conclusion is these figures are roughly correct. We only have estimates because exit polling is the only way you can know that. But uh, uh, the point is, these, when, when, the tour, when the 1922, they're going to come up with these... Uh, and see, they're in a bad place, by the way, because... If 70% voted for leave and 30% voted against, 30% is a big number. You can't yes, get a majority is. if you lose that 30%. But then the good news is, where are they going to go? Right? Because nobody was good on this thing. The, nobody in London, no large group of people, except a majority of the Tory ministers, right? Uh, members of parliament. A majority of them are, elect, are elected from districts that, that uh, voted for this thing. A big majority, 70%, that's huge. And then another thing is the cabinet, Theresa May's cabinet, was mostly people who voted Remain. Yes. And, and that's, you know, David Cameron. He, so the prime minister for Theresa May is David Cameron, who's, you know, young, hip, the kind we get. You and know, he's center he, left. He's a, he's like a Tim Ryan figure. He's not really a, a, a dyed in the wool Tory. No, no, and you know, and you know why they're really cool. It's like we all want to be like Tony Blair now, and uh, isn't that cool? And uh, and so they they elected this guy right, and he put this thing on the ballot because he's leaking votes to the United Kingdom Independence Party and Nigel Farage, who, by the way in his infinite mischief and cleverness, is starting another party. <laughs> you know? and, so and he's going to sweep all, the EU elections. 
He's, you he's know, gonna, that's right. He's going to win. Right. And that's happening in other countries, too, see. So, you know, I hope and pray the European Union, I, I, I wish it would be what it was founded to be, what Winston Churchill called for. I wish it would revert to the fact that it is not a government. It is a customs union. And, you, you know, all the stuff about passports and all that, you can fix that up so that it's not hard to go across the border you can do all of that, right? But you can no, but I have to explain country. something. Uh, a lot of the uh, uh, remainers or the people who are against uh, uh, leave are calling for a custom union. That's because even though Churchill wanted a custom union, he did not want a government attached to it. Now we have a government with a custom union attached to it. They want mm-hmm. out because the custom union proves again that government cannot do anything except grow. Yeah, well... I, I, I read years ago, and it's probably more now. I read years ago that there were 75,000 people employed by the European Union Gosh. enforcing free trade. <laughs> wow. All right, so let me not- give you another, another quick fact. Uh, there have been three meaningful votes on leaving the EU, three of them, January 15th, March 12th, and March 29th. Only Boris Johnson, Dominic Robb, and Esther McVeigh voted no the first two times. Everyone voted yes the last time because they were getting desperate, and it still failed. Every other candidate, Jeremy Hunt, Michael Gove, Sajid Javid, Matthew Hancock, Rory Stewart, Penny Mordant, Andrea Lidsom, they all voted for the May deal on the 15th and the 12th. So I think the two camps are fairly well delineated, but the party is overwhelmingly leave that's what you told me right that that's, yeah, these, that's right. The, well, they, and 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 that uh, it's a slightly different number i i think my i don't know this for sure but i'm pretty sure that 60 percent of the tory voters nationwide voted for leave and that's a big majority but 70 percent of the districts and see that means that these guys are elected from districts and they're going to get together and seven out of ten of them are going to know that these people voted for leave and, and that they will be primary, be right? Yeah. They will face a primary if they don't follow through. Yeah, and it doesn't quite work that way. What you what you get is a uh, a uh, a constituency challenge, and people, you know, this happened to Churchill. By the way, I have letters from a woman who helped stave it off for Churchill. He wrote her letters of thanks. He's busy, and it's in the ni- late 1930s, and Chamberlain is working in the conservative central office is working the constituency committees in, you know, and there are several. (laughs) Churchill was from Woodford, formerly called Epping. And there was like Thaden boys and there's, you know, like 15 little towns and they all got a committee. And so this nice little old lady, Gladys Salmon had to go around to constituency meetings. And, you know, it's just like going to the local rotary club meeting. And had to argue not to deselect, it's called, Churchill, and pick somebody else to represent your party in the election. So are these like the Iowa and caucuses? They're not, they're not. It is. Okay. It is like, it is like that. And, and see, that means, you know, and who, who are these people? I mean, did you ever go to a lo- local Republican or local Democrat meeting? You know? <laughs> yes. It, oh, yes. Way it, too many sure. of them. Yeah. yeah and that's, and what does that mean? You know, what are those people like? They're people in the town. You know, and they are interested in national affairs and they've got their party affiliation and they're agitators, kind of. You know, I mean, in, in America, it's very decent. In the cities, probably a little different. I don't know. But uh, so the point is, they're going to have a bad time here. That's just how it is. And as I said before, 
the clear line through all of this is get them out of there. The people voted for it, and you can you can repair to that. And this argument that it's a really big change and it was only one refer- referendum is changing the rules after the fact. Now and tell me about hard- when when Churchill faced party uprisings among the members of parliament. I, I believe you told this story in the last couple of months. He, he stood on the floor of the parliament and said, you can have me or you can say no, but I'm not staying on your terms. Is Boris Johnson yeah, well, going to run on that? Uh, oh, yeah. And see, they, they, if I were they, I would any of those candidates, I'd be making, writing my speech and doing some research right now about how we can make this work with no deal. That's what has not been explored, right? What, what they've got about the traumatic effects of it is mostly a, a, a report from the Bank of England, you know? Talk about Oxbridge, right? And it's like the Federal Reserve, you know, and, and different. And they're never but wrong. The, the city bankers, wrong. So they, and the know, t- they're never be, wrong. This will be real, you know, and they're in this the oldest part of London. It's called the City of London. And that's the financial district. I mean, if you can think back to the really great movie, Mary Poppins, you know, when they sing the song about tuppence, yeah. the bank. If right? I had a that's producer, like. if I had a producer, we'd be going out with that music. But go ahead. Yeah, you should do. Yeah. And and uh, and so it's, you know, that's that's, you know, the elite, rich international traders. Right. That's, you know, that's the world. It's on Threadneedle Street, the bank, the Bank of England. And it's right in the heart of the oldest part of London. It's near St. Paul's Cathedral. So, so they, they, you know, that, that they have their report, but they've modified the report some since then. And, and you know, what it, a simple fact is, I think you might be the first one to point this out to me, Hugh, Brit, Britain has a trade deficit with the European Union. And so that, that those big, concentrated international exporters in Europe, have a great motive to uh, to you know press the European Union to open trade with Britain. And see, another thing is there are tariffs. They're not really very high in general, but there are tariffs on things from America into the European Union and therefore into Britain, and that compromises or qualifies or, mod- or diminishes their ability to trade with the United States. And last time I checked, that's the biggest market in the world. It is. And Trump is always on the phone talking to May, and she would never listen. He would always say, yeah. go hard, Brexit, and come do a deal with me. You'll be better off. I think if Boris Johnson or Dominic Robb do that, they'll win. Now, Dr. Arn, I, I, I've lied to you. I'm going to stay on this subject, and then we'll do Article 2 next week. because I've got to ask you a question when we come back from break. But first, I want to give you a story relevant to your speaker today. You may not know this, but Charles Kessler and I matriculated the same years at Harvard. And the first night I was sitting on the stoop of my dorm, Stoughton Hall, without relief factor, because I could run in those years. Uh, and, a, and a young man approaches me from, I believe, West Virginia. And he says, are you Charles Kessler? Uh, he says, are you Hugh Hewitt? And I said, are you Charles Kessler? And he was, and I was, and we became friends, and they're still friends. And that first night in Cambridge was arranged by William F. Buckley, to whom both of us had written letters and he responded to both of us saying, you must meet my friend Charles. You must meet my friend Hugh. And, of course, we didn't know each other from Adam, but that was Buckley's way. Isn't that sort of amazing for William F. Buckley to do that? 
Oh yeah, that's what he was like. That's how that's how I met Charles Kessler. And I like that story because it proves that there's a diversity of talent in the entering classes at Harvard. <laughs> oh, of all the wounds I have inflicted, I've had inflicted upon me in all those years, people won't understand that one, but I did. That they, was a good one. They Art. pale in comparison. <laughs> That's what he did. I need relieffactor.com right now. I am cut to the quick. Et tu, Larry. Et tu. I'll be right back, America. Final comment about the geopolitical trend of this week from Dr. Larry Arn. And then next week, Article 2, the president versus Pelosi. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Hugh Hewitt Show. Listen, she's calling to you. Feed the birds. Top a bag Toppence 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 a bag Welcome back America It's Hugh Hewitt with Dr. Larry Arn Fortuitously my guest on the Hillsdale Dialogue this week All things Hillsdale are available at hillsdale.edu and um, we're going to talk next week about Article 2 I promise you but this I got to finish with this question Dr. Arn because it it falls into this category Brexit passed it wasn't expected Trump won. That was a complete shock to the system. Benjamin Netanyahu won easily. That was a complete shock. Scott Morrison in Australia had trailed in 54 of 54 polls, but the conservatives, known as the liberals down under, won. Uh, Prime Minister Modi of India won more than 299, might be 300 seats in a landslide. And I would also add, add Theresa May forced out. Those were all unexpected before the last three years began. And on the other side of the aisle, the left has only won once when Macron won, and now he's in the ditch. What is going on, not just in American politics, but around the world? Because we often don't see anything except Trump because he's so big. But I look beyond Trump and I see he's part of a pattern, or maybe he began the pattern. What do you see? Mm -hmm. Well, I'll give two answers. One is, I don't know. And the other one is, here it is. Um, So if you look at all those countries you just named... They are all governed very differently than they were 50 or 60 years ago. In all of those countries, laws are made in a different way than they used to be made. In Britain, in America, you know, in 1960, the laws were made by the Congress of the United States. Now they're made by the independent so-called agencies, the regulatory agencies, and they're much more numerous. In other words... All of those countries have had the, the bureaucratic form descend upon them. And it's amazing how similar they are to each other. And interestingly enough, how similar they are to the way they make laws in communist China. And so it's experts making laws. Japan is included, right? And so it used to be that representatives made laws. Now experts make laws. And it turns out that form of government is not popular anywhere. And what's singular about Trump and about Modi, the first time he was elected, I don't know exactly how he campaigned this time. But what's singular about them is they campaigned against that bureaucracy. In America, drain the swamp. And see, the Brexit thing, what, 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 is, what gives energy to this wish to leave the European Union? Why did the UK party start from nothing and grow? And the answer is, People feel as if things are being done to them and they have no control over them. They can't vote and get a change. It doesn't, you know, in our lifetime, 
the great thing that's grown up that everybody says it doesn't matter who wins, it's always the same. Yes. Right? And so people are tired of that. And and then Macron, you know, runs in campaigns and presents himself to the world explicitly as an anti-nationalist. And you know... He did. Yes, a, he did. Yep. If there was a Frexit vote in France this week, it would carry. And, you know, probably by a lot. Yep. And the yellow vests would you know, see to it. One, one of the two founding countries, the one, you know, the energy to found the European Union started in France. And when Germany, when France finally accepted Germany, they were slower to do that than they should have been. Then, you know, but they had reason, right, because the Germans had been kind of naughty to them. Um, so when, when that, that's how the European Union got formed. But it's been it's uh, it's uh, transmogrified into something different now, and people in general don't like it. If you took if you look at polls in the fifties in America, do you trust the federal government? Off the charts, yes. You look at the by the past nineteen sixty five, off the charts, no. And it changed its nature in that time. And I've been saying forever. There's a enormous, the political opportunity in America is that 60 to 70 percent of the people say they do not have a system of consent of the government. And so campaigning to explain to them how you get it back is bound to prosper. And by the way, that's what that's what happened down under. The Labor Party was committed to a radical new green deal a green new deal they were they were off the charts radical and i think the people of australia don't want that no it's not you know people people are people and uh in this you know we're uh winston churchill and c.s lewis both like the uh, phrase that we live in a conscripted age everything is conscripted everything is absorbed into some big central thing and partly that's the power of modern science, which the bureaucratic form gets its prestige from the idea that experts can decide better because they use the scientific method to find out the best policy, which makes us, by the way, the subject of a grand social experiment. And yeah. that's how we look at people now, at least fancy, sophisticated people do. Well, that was Dr. Larry Arn fortuitously appearing on the Hillsdale Dialogue just as Theresa May announces her exit from number 10. Probably no better guest in America on those subject matters. Next week, we go to Article 2 because the president is headed for a showdown with Nancy Pelosi. What powers does he have? What powers does he not have? We'll talk about that next week on the next Hillsdale Dialogue.